Well, good morning again, and welcome to the Lord's house, and uh, good morning to those who are watching via live stream, maybe some folks in Cambodia. Our own Pastor Dion is over there with Dave Jameson, the Director of uh, Community Outreach for our ministry, along with a whole team of people, and uh, we can really be proud that they're over there doing what they're doing. If you've been checking in on Facebook, they're, they're just touching hundreds of children and Pastor Dion is also uh, teaching other pastors in Cambodia. Now, we have that opportunity here in the States all the time to go to conferences, not so much there. And uh, few probably have had a seminary education as well, but they're, they're passionate about the Lord, so it's great that he can go and be a part of that service to them. Today, we're talking about things that, that go together. You know, and it's kind of interesting because these are opposite things, these things you wouldn't normally think should go together. And... Uh, Today's message is on seeing differences differently. It's a timely message. You know, I am uh, older than most and younger than some, and I can honestly say in all of my years, I have not seen this level of uh, animosity between people uh, that we are witnessing today. Now, my only comfort is that the Bible says in the end times before Christ comes, people's hearts will grow cold. I think he's coming next week, is my guess, you know, because it's pretty chilly out there, you know, and I see it even in our own congregation, people who have taken extreme positions, and uh, well, let me just, let me just summarize what's going on. Ferguson, Sandy Hook, San Bernardino, Orlando, Fox News, CNN, MSNBC, mainstream media bias. Confirmation hearings, immigration bans, protests, pro-choice, pro-life, refugees, ISIS, the popular vote, the Electoral College, private servers, Benghazi, misogynist, the wall, the Dakota Pipeline, Supreme Court nominee, Steve Bannon, Chuck Schumer, Trump, Clinton, Putin. Sanctuary cities, the right to work, unions. Black Lives Matter, Blue Lives Matter. Educational vouchers, public schools, charter schools, fake news, white privilege. Educational vouchers, trade wars, balance of trade, affirmative action, safe zones, Sharia law, Hollywood elite, deplorables, alt-right, extreme left, progressives, make America great again. I'm still with her. Right-wing conspiracy, boycott, racism, reverse racism, filibuster, nuclear option, court of appeals, Obamacare. Wow. You know, something is changing in our nation, and, and uh, we've seen change before, but this is, uh, this is something that's changing the social nature and the interaction of people, even Christians among Christians, even friends among friends who are uh, unfriending one another. And you wonder, so what's driving all of this? Some believe it's the instant you know, information that we have at our fingertips, but I think it's more than that. I think it's the selective information that we have at our fingertips. In, in fact, uh, a Harvard Law professor uh, by the name of uh, Case Sunstein 
uh, talked about the fact that people are becoming more extreme for good reason. You know, there's something called algorithms uh, on social media. Uh, for instance, um, we were uh, headed off um, for Florida a few weeks ago, and, and it was uh, the middle of winter, and, and uh, I noticed that the sump pump in, in my basement, this home that we've rehabbed, uh, had a two-inch discharge line that they had uh, squeezed down to a half-inch copper tube. You know, why, I have no idea. But I, I know that when that pump ran, it would run forever trying to force that two-inch water line into a half-inch copper tube, and uh, this thing's going to burn out. You know, it just run for five minutes, and, uh, you know, a good pump will run for a few seconds and discharge, you know, a whole lot of water. And I thought, i got to change this before I leave town. It's going to drive me crazy. And so I researched that and, and uh, chose, you know, how I would fix it and, and then installed a new pump before we left. And suddenly on all my social media sites, some pump showed up. <laughs> now, I, I wasn't looking for information on my social media site, but somehow they exchange information with each other. Imagine that. You know, and that's not just true of things that you purchase. You know, if I purchase a golf club or if I'm looking, you know, at reviews for a certain item, all of a sudden my social media page is just filled with that item, you know, and, and trying to encourage me. Or if I'm looking for flights, all of a sudden there's all these deals that come on my social media about flights. You know, how does that work? I don't know, but, but it works that way. And it's not only true of things you purchase, it's also true of things you read. When you click or when you search topics and you begin to read those things, all of a sudden your social media site will be flooded with similar stories because they think that's your point of view. Have you ever wondered why you may have 500 friends but you only see posts from like 20 or 30? It's because these people are searching and looking at the same things you are. And so as a result, you begin to believe that everyone thinks like you do. Back to uh, Case Sunstein, who said the mere discussion of the, and the deliberation over a certain matter or, or an opinion in a group that thinks the same shifts the position of the entire group in a more radical direction. It truly is. You know, people become extreme then in their position. We're not talking to each other. We're not exchanging information. You know, we're not even hearing other opinions most often. And it's disturbing. It's, it's hurting our Christian witness. Jesus said a new command I give you. Said this at the very end of his ministry. Said this in the upper room. That night he went out, he was arrested, the next day crucified. Pretty important stuff. He said a new command I give you. That you love one another. As I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Not by this you will know that you are my disciples, uh, that they will know. Uh, if you're passionate and adamant about a certain position, theological or otherwise. That's not how they'll know you're his disciples. If you stand up and fight for the truth, that's not how they will know you are his followers. It's your attitude towards others. In this day and age when people are, are so caustic with each other, uh, I think you'll stand out so boldly if you are not that person. If you are gracious, even towards those who disagree with you, that will stand out. That will make an impression. You know, when we 
focus on divisive issues and we allow them to dominate our lives, people get lost in the equation. People get hurt. People really become invisible. They get overlooked. Uh, I travel a bit. I, I also uh, uh, work for Lutheran Hour Ministries on the side here. I'm a part-time teacher here and working for them as well. And it's an awesome organization. Love it. And uh, so I get to visit some of their major donors in Florida and also in Texas. So I'm in the car a lot. I listen to a lot of radio. And uh, I love the search button because you just never know what you're going to hear. And I hear all kinds of different things, all kinds of different music. And I was uh, traveling the other day and I heard this new artist, Ben Rector. I don't know if you know Ben, but uh, he grew up in Oklahoma. He's now trying to make his way in uh, Nashville. Uh, and uh, he sang a song that just I immediately resonated with the first time I heard it. And it's a, a song about the people that would otherwise be invisible should not be invisible to us. And uh, I've asked Jesse to come out and sing it. And I want you to listen and also watch the lyrics. It's a minivan with the cruise ships from Fort Lauderdale And it's been that way since 1994 He does his business on a flip phone With the most obnoxious ringtone I didn't ask, but I could tell he's from New York He spoke proudly of his daughter And that this fall she'd be in college How he always wished he'd gotten his degree you can tell he came from nothing Build a future out of hustling Somehow I'm the one you people pray to see Oh, isn't that just the way it goes You're dealt a good hand You get celebrated Oh, how am I the only one who knows I'm half the man of the men who drive me places Danny showed up early 15 minutes till 5.30 Making sure that I'd be on my morning flight he says I'd love to fix computers But that he can't until he's fluent So he spends his driving money taking class at night He wore a neatly ironed dress shirt And he helps his kids with homework Deep inside I couldn't help but ask myself Why that night I'm up on stage Everybody knows my name Danny's early picking up somebody else Isn't that just the way it goes? You're dealt a good hand, you get celebrated. Oh, how am I the only one who knows? I'm half the man of men that drive me places. Powerful song. You know, the world doesn't recognize equality in people. 
You know, we place some over others, be it the title by their name or the salary that they bring home or the address that they live at or, or the car that they drive. But that doesn't make you a better person. It doesn't make somebody else a lesser person. Now, I'm not in denial. I realize that there are real differences. And uh, all truth is not equal. I'm not suggesting, nor is God anywhere in the Bible, that we should ignore differences. I'm just thinking it's time that we see differences differently. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, open our eyes to your perspective on life. Help us, Lord, to uh, focus and to think about the fact that the, the difference will be realized in us when, when we love each other. And they'll say, see how they love one another. So, Lord, while we stand for and affirm that which is true and even speak against that which is wrong, help us speak the truth in love, as you would command in your word. Speak the truth in love. And when in doubt, sin on the side of love. Lord, grant it we pray in Christ Jesus. Amen. We're going to be looking at Romans chapter 12. It's an interesting chapter. It's written by an interesting guy, a guy who was passionate himself, a guy who was a zealot, uh, the Apostle Paul. Before he became the Apostle Paul, he was the Jewish Pharisee Saul, and he was adamant in his defense of that which was true. To the point that he traveled the country finding people who were teaching this heresy about Jesus, putting him in chains and making sure that they died. That was his job, and he was doing it to please God. Until God knocked him off his horse and said, what are you doing? Why are you persecuting me? And, and he turned Paul around. Now, now, Paul was an expert in the Jewish faith. And you would have thought, well, God would take him and make him a, a witness to the Jews. But no, he, he made him a witness to the people who despised the Gentiles, people who did not believe uh, in the Messianic promises. We're going to be reading uh, that man's thoughts from his letter to the Romans in chapter 12, beginning at verse 3. I'm going to break it up into um, about four different readings um, and, and just teach from those sections. So we begin with uh, verse 3. By the grace given to me, Paul never lost sight of this. Uh, in a letter he wrote to Timothy, he called himself, though I am chief of sinners, God has shown me grace. So that when other people say, man, if he could save Paul, he can save me. By the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought but rather think of yourselves with sober judgment, you know, just a sinner saved by grace. In accordance with the faith, the insight, the belief that God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has but one physical body, but many aspects to that body, many different members of the same body, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ, we, though many, are still of one body, and each member belongs to the other. Notice that when the Lord decides to deal with this matter of relationship, 
and seeing differences differently. He begins by saying a word about personal humility. Do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought to think. This is a lesson that is most often learned by mistake. Either yours or watching somebody else make a mistake that has a huge cringe factor. I remember when I was uh, attending class at the seminary, uh, I was a lot brighter then than I am now, and uh, I knew exactly what should be done and, and not be done in the entire denomination. And uh, I remember there was a war going on, uh, a battle over the Bible, and um, so I wrote the president of our denomination a letter and gave him some advice. <laughs> he didn't even answer my suggestion. He just wrote back a quote from James chapter 1. He said, uh, Steve, take note of this, James chapter 1. Everyone should be quick to listen, <laughs> slow to speak, and slow to get angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness of God. Some truth in what he said. And I remember watching the debate that was going on in the church at the, at the time, this, this debate about higher criticism. Uh, there were some scholars who had uh, begun to believe that uh, the Bible was a mixture between the inspired thoughts of God, the cultural opinions of the day, and also the author's own understanding. And so through higher critical methods, uh, you could apply to the text, you could discern what was God's word, what was just a human imposition on the text, or what was just the culture of the time. And as a result, the church began to teach all kinds of strange things um, that said, well, that was just, you know, the day, that was the first century attitude, and that's kind of leaked into the text, and we have to set that apart, or, or that was this individual author's personal perspective, and we have to remove that. That's not the grain of truth that we want to study here. And uh, the church began to teach all kinds of things, and people were trying to figure out, well, what is true, and how do you know what is true? Now, there was, uh, you'd call those the theological elites, you know, you had to be pretty highly trained to be able to figure that out or just trust their judgment. But then there was the grassroots movement that said, no way. When they began to hear that pastors at the seminaries or some of our schools were teaching these things, there was a general revolt. And if you were in St. Louis at the time, there was even, you know, just a huge walkout. Now, I don't believe that everybody who supported uh, those people who walked out necessarily agreed with them. They were just didn't like the way they were being treated. And so they sided with them just asking that they'd be treated more fairly. It was a complicated matter. Now, I had in my life a pastor back home and in my own family, um, Christian people, who were of the conservative opinion that the Bible is inerrant, doesn't have errors. If you see errors in the Bible, you just need to study it closer. You need to better understand it. And it's uh, also inspired by the word of God, by, by the Holy Spirit, that every word there, every word, not, not just the thoughts, not just the main concept, but every word, uh, is inspired by God, and it's efficacious. It has power. So it's inerrant, it's inspired, it's efficacious. And, and th that's kind of where I came down on things, you know, although I, it's funny that as a student you were trying to pass judgment on professors. 
you know, and I was always taught as a kid that if he had a chalk in his hand and he was at the head of the classroom, shut up and take notes, you know, and suddenly we were saying, is he right or is he wrong? I, it, it was kind of awkward to have to make those kinds of decisions. And what even made it more confusing were the people that I tended to line up with, you know, a conservative point of view regarding the scripture, which is kind of confusing for people who come to our church because, you know, we do secular music here that has a message, you know, pastors don't wear robes and, you know, so they'll say, wow, that's a progressive church, that's a liberal church. We're not liberal, we're extremely biblically conservative. We, we just have, you know, a more relevant uh, approach to ministry. And, and I remember that uh, the people who were conservative we're just downright mean. You know, it's just like they just wanted to hurt people. They wanted to hurt those people who were trying to challenge their points of view. And I thought, wow. You know, it, it began to uh, make sense to me that in every battle, there are people on your team that you wish were fighting for the enemy, you know, because they had such a bad attitude. And I didn't want to be associated with them. And yet I agreed with their position on the scripture. And then the, the people that I thought had a kind of a loose opinion of the scripture. They were gracious, and I loved to hang out with them. They were kind. And I thought, why can't we be both? You know, why can't we, you know, believe in the Scripture as, as truth, inspired, inerrant, and efficacious, and still be gracious towards people who disagree with us? Why can't we be kind? It's a tough call, but it's an important decision that everybody has to make. I think when it comes to this part of the text, you have to say, what makes me so certain I'm right and they're wrong? You know, be slow to speak and quick to hear. You know, your mama probably told you that God gave you two ears and one mouth for a reason, you know? So you'd listen twice as much as you speak. I'm not inclined still that way. What might cause a, a good person to disagree with me? Because as I've observed the congregation take these extreme positions on controversial issues in our nation today, or on almost any issue, I think, wow, that's, I like that person. They're really solid. They're salt-of-the-earth people, and, and so is this person. And why are they so bitter towards each other? You know, what would cause a good person to disagree with me? Where are they coming from? You know, have, have they personally had a daughter who faced the issue of abortion? Have they perhaps experienced that themselves? I try to understand why are they coming from that position? You know, be curious about that because you know they're not doing it just to disagree with you. They have some reason, some compelling reason that they've taken that position. And what could I learn from those who disagree with me? Later, when I was ordained, and I, I, I went to Texas, and I was a pastor in Texas for about six years, uh, man, the district was at war with each other. We used to say that the circuit would meet in a small room so that everybody could have their back to a wall. Uh, it was just, these were pastors. And I remember that they had uh, little groups that would meet together to plot, you know, how they were going to get their person elected to be district president. And I just went to one of those meetings and I said, wow, I cannot be a part of this because this is not the spirit of God. You know, they will know us by our love. You got to ask, you know, what can I learn from those who disagree? And, and I could learn, I should be more gracious because that's appealing to me while nevertheless standing on my conviction. Well, the text continues, uh, Paul goes on. 
in verse 6, he says, we have different gifts for a reason. God has made differences. I think even racial differences, cultural differences, educational and intellectual differences, social differences, uh, family of origin differences. It should be an awesome thing. It shouldn't be a destructive thing. Different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is in prophesying, and uh, that word can be translated inspiring or foretelling, then do that according to your faith, not beyond your faith, not for attention, but to serve God. If it's in serving, if it's being gracious, if it's in driving men places, which is the name of that song, The Men Who Drive Me Places, then serve. If it is in teaching, if it's helping others gain insight uh, into things that are complex and difficult, then teach. If it's to encourage Thank God there are Barnabases in the world uh, who are encouragers. Then we need encouragement, grant encouragement. And don't dismiss that as unimportant. If it is in giving, and there are people who have a generosity about themselves, and I tell you, they are some of the most incredible people in the world, people who are blessed and know that they are blessed from God and blessed for a reason, then let them give generously. And if it is to lead, you should thank God for your leaders instead of attacking them or bringing them down because it's a hard thing to do. And if, if you are called to lead, then do it steadily, do it diligently, do it gracefully. If it is in showing mercy, man, then do it cheerfully. You know, not as though that's a thing that you despise. God has made us to need each other. And let me just say to you that, that if you are one of those people who drive men places, you know, if, if you have a, a position in the world that the world doesn't honor in the same way that it honors other positions, don't disregard and, and, and don't underestimate your importance. That's the first and foremost, I think. You know, I see a lot of people who say, well, I'm just this or I'm just that. You're not just anything. You know, no matter, uh, if you have ambition, that's fine. But be content you know, while you work to improve your station in life and be happy and be proud that this is what you get to do instead of, you know, men who sometimes are women who get downsized in life, you know, their life is pretty much over. They're paralyzed. Why? There's still meaningful things that can be done in your new position because mostly it's about relationships and every position has relationships. And you should also honor other people's insights, other people's gifts, and don't underestimate what they bring to the table. The world does that. The world says this person should sit here and you should sit down there. But Jesus says that is not to be the way among us. You should ask yourself, you know, about people who are different than yourself, these questions. They're going to be there. Have I noticed the importance that I play in life, the value of my contribution? Have I also noticed and, and am I willing to honor those whose value and those whose contribution is different than my own? You know, do you notice those who drive you, drive you places? You know, it's kind of fun to get into a cab or, and, and talk to that guy and get to know him and not just treat him as somebody who has to do a job for you, but to treat them with respect. Uh, that will say tons about you. And then uh, finally, just the last two verses of our, of our text from um, Romans chapter uh, 12, verse 9. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. 
you know, sincere. You know, there is right and there is wrong. You know, uh, despise evil and honor that which is good. This is why I said, you know, not all truth is created equal. Somebody said in our study uh, this past week as we were preparing for this message, uh, he said, uh, somebody had said to me, don't be so open-minded that your brains fall out. You know, and I like, like that. You know, it's okay to be tolerant of people, but being tolerant is not to say, well, that's their truth, and this is my truth, and I should honor their truth as equal to mine. I, I do believe that there's right and there's wrong and there's inspired truth, uh, and, and there is uh, human opinion. Honoring others and being gracious towards them is not the same as agreeing with their point of view. It's not agreeing that all truth is created equal. Behind me is a a picture of a book called Crucial Conversations, which was uh, published in uh, 01 and and became, uh, in the middle of, uh, of this decade, a prominent book that was often studied in the business world. It's called Crucial Conversation, Tools for Talking When Stakes Are High. You know, when in your family or among your friends or in your workplace, there is disagreement. There are ways to talk about disagreement that don't wreck the relationships and don't destroy the organization or the family. Uh, these are just a few of their concepts. You should focus on the process over content. You know, how, how can we talk about this in a way that, you know, diffuses the emotion? Restoring safety. Apologize if you overspoke or if you name called. You know, I, I heard somebody on the radio the other day, I kind of like this guy and, and respect his point of view, but he was talking about, uh, you know, how wrong it was for the Democrats to refer to uh, people who disagreed with them as deplorables. He said, they're a bunch of wackadoodles. And I thought, <laughs> okay, you called them a name too, you know, so, you know, how can that be apologize? How can that be gracious? You know, and be careful that we don't fall into those Patterns. Apologize when necessary. You know, I'm sorry I overspoke. You know, I was wrong. And then contrast for better understanding. Here, here, here's what I would like to achieve in this conversation. Here's what I don't want to happen in this conversation. I'm not going to tell you about the whole book, but there's something to be said just in the title. You know, how do you talk with each other when stakes are high? You know, settle on a mutual purpose. We both want the same things. You want the church to do well, don't you? Don't you want the nation to do well? You know, this, this is what we want. How can we get there and maintain always mutual respect? You know, so uh, love must be sincere, hate what is evil, cling to what is good, but do it in a spirit of love. You could ask these questions. How can I better engage and make this discussion helpful? Do I really need to win? Do I need to prove my point? What's the point of that? Somebody asked me the other day, uh, you know, how are you handling this transition with Dion being your senior pastor now and, and you're just a staff pastor? And I said, you know, it was never about me. It was about the ministry. And the ministry just came off of its best year in terms of gaining membership and in terms of financial uh, strength. What's not to love about that? You know, it was never about me. And if you make it about yourself, it's, it's just fraught with difficulty because you're going you're gonna to go away. Uh, certainly the thing you're committed to should be more important. Why do I need to prove my point? Why do I need to have the honor? Isn't it the outcome that we're concerned with? 
Does God or does truth need your protection? I don't think so. I don't think so. It's interesting that when Jesus had this conversation with Nicodemus, who came to him at night because of his friends who were in high places, who would have rejected him for having stooped to go to speak to a rabbi who was not uh, highly regarded, speak to Jesus. You know, everybody else hated him. And, and this guy, you got to hand it to Nicodemus. He, he, he said, there's something in this guy. You know, he couldn't do the miracles that he does unless God is with him. So he, he went at night. He kind of protected his social status, but he still wanted to know. And so I respect that. And, uh, and he uh, said, uh, we know that you must be from God because no one can do the miracles you do. And, and Jesus says, you must be born again. And Nicodemus says, how can a man be born when he is old? You know, I can't enter a second time in my mother's womb to be born. And Jesus said, I'm talking about spiritual rebirth. You must be born of water and the spirit of God. I'm not talking about physical rebirth. He says, are you a teacher in God's law and don't understand this? Jesus didn't pin him down. He didn't say, admit you're wrong. You know, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, uh, Paul says, you know, some people till the ground, some people plant the seed, some people hoe it, some people water it, and, and then some people get to harvest it. I don't know any crop that you plant and harvest on the same day, and yet we believe that when we argue with somebody, we should turn them on a dime, and they should agree with us, or we've not won the conversation. What's wrong with us? Jesus allowed Nicodemus to go away just chewing on some of the thoughts he shared, some of the questions he asked. And you know what's interesting? Is that when Jesus is crucified later, you know who comes for the body to honor it and to place it in a tomb? Nicodemus, who had become a secret believer. He still wasn't willing to be, you know, out front for fear of his friends. But he had begun to believe because not only of what Jesus said, but because of the way in which Jesus said it and the way in which he talked to him. Love must be sincere. You can disagree, but you can do it in a way that is not disagreeable. And then the final verse, be devoted to one another in love. Honor others above yourself. Be devoted to love. Honor others above yourself. Now, in, in the course of ministry, as I said, I've, uh, the longer I've done ministry, the less I know. You know, when I started out, I knew everything, and everything was black and white, you know. Whether it was abortion, whether it was cohabitation, or whether it was gender bending, you know, all the issues that are, uh, the church has strong opinions on today. And uh, often we wouldn't even discuss those things because this is what God says and that's the end of it. And then I realized if you take yourself out of the conversation with a mother who brings her daughter to your office and says, you know, we have this unexpected pregnancy and we don't know what to do. Pastors would never talk about abortion because we're again it. You know, I can show you in the scripture over and over again how life in the womb is sacred. That's what I believe. But if I didn't raise that issue, if I didn't talk with, it, with them there about that, they would talk about it with somebody else. And it wouldn't change the outcome, would it? So can we just lay that on the table? Can we talk about that? And can we pray about that? Can we just plant a seed, not force a decision at the moment? Be gracious. They will know us by our love. Or what happens all the time here is that couples who are living together will come to be married. And uh, I say, why did you come here to be married? You're a member of this church or that church. And they said, well, they wouldn't marry us. And I said, well, why not? 
And they said, well, because we're living together. I thought, something's wrong with this picture. You know, uh, their family and their church says, you know, you, you guys ought to commit to each other. You ought to be married because there's value in that. That's the way God would have you live together. And, and so they say, okay, we're going to do that. And they come to the church and they say, you know, we, we decided to get married and we've been living with each other for a while. And the church says, get the hell out of here. You know, <laughs> you're not married. You're living together. Or separate until you come back together. Where, where is the grace in that? You know, they, they finally are doing what their parents and their Christian friends and the church has been asking them to do and the church throws them out? Come on. We should probably talk about that. Well, what changed for you? You know, we should pray about that. We should work with them. But attitude is everything. It's the same with gender issues, you know. We have, we have people who come to our congregation who are in a same-sex relationship. I, I once had a... A custodian who worked on Sundays and, and uh, you know, kept our restrooms and everything and, and dealt with spills. We always have somebody on, on call. And uh, I was standing out back, and of course, I don't look like a pastor. I'm not dressed like a pastor. And I was just talking to people, and, and uh, I said, isn't it interesting? You know, I don't, don't know a lot of these people. They come from all over the place. And he says, man, you ought to read the bumper stickers on their cars. He said, these people believe some pretty strange things. And I said, well, where would you like him to go? <laughs> Don't you want him to come to this place? Don't you want him to hear the word of God? Should we pass a test at the door as to whether you agree or don't agree with us before you're allowed to enter? Or shouldn't this be a place that's safe where we can talk about the truth with mutual respect and mutual love? You know, the scripture says that we should um, consider and honor others ahead of ourselves. I like this text from Mark chapter 10 uh, because it, it talks about a, a rich young ruler who came to Jesus and he said, what must I do to be saved? Uh, it's told in all the gospels, but I like Mark's telling of the story. And Jesus says, you know the commandments, just keep the commandments. Don't kill, don't murder, don't commit adultery, you know, don't bear false witness. And, and the man said to Jesus, all these I have kept, what do I still lack? You know, it's interesting, a couple of things there. He thought he'd kept the law perfectly, so Jesus, he just really came for approval. You know, you're awesome. Uh, but he still had a sense that maybe that wasn't enough. And Jesus was about to uh, challenge his thinking and help him realize that he was not perfect. But before Jesus challenged his thinking, Mark tells us, Jesus looked at him and loved him. Can you look at somebody you disagree with, and, and even though you have to have a hard conversation, can you just say, man, I love you? Or can you at least feel it in your heart? Instead of, you know, swelling up with pride and getting ready to just, you know, let him have it. I love that Jesus looked at this man and loved him. And he said, one thing you still lack. And he goes, what's that? He goes, just sell everything you have and follow me. And the man went away sad because he owned many things. I think he also went away thinking about that. And maybe he realized that you can't do it alone. Because it wasn't just this man that learned the lesson that day. Jesus' disciples were nearby. And they said, if this is your standard, no one can be saved. And Jesus says, got that right. You know, with you guys, it's impossible. You can't be perfect on your own. But with God, all things are possible. There is a forgiveness and there is a grace that God wants to extend to you. 
who just believe, acknowledge your sins, confess your faults, and receive the forgiveness that is won by Christ on the cross. It all starts with Jesus loving those who disagreed and helping them come to the knowledge of the truth. Powerful, powerful lesson. It's not that complicated. We make it complicated. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciple if you love one another. I like just putting it this way. Our job is to raise up, to praise up, and to build up even with crucial conversations if necessary, one another in love.